thing that I find so interesting in your work is in some ways it's very much about fantasy and these subcultures that you're so interested by or these different styles of people. But on the other hand, it seems so autobiographical. It's almost like it's your life or the girl you want to be. So yeah, I it's totally personal. And I think that because I'm quite a shy person, um, I'm not uh, very talkative about myself usually. Mm. So I could express myself through this fantasy of an ideal muse, um, an, um, an ideal person, an ideal um, fantasy person. Mm. And um, it, again, I didn't realize I was doing that, but now when I look back at it, oh yeah, this is the period like of grunge, and I'm doing the I ideal like girl um, from the grunge days, or I'm a pre-Raphaelite um, muse for pre-Raphaelite artists. So it's it's always been kind of like living vicariously through kind of the inspirations that I'm uh, inspired by and I'm learning about. I mean, that's what life's about, isn't it? It's like you know, exploring those things that you love. I think clothing is, is so magical and you can really create yourself that way. I mean, there's, it's like kind of a, a, a vocabulary of expressing yourself and really once you put on the regalia, suddenly you're that person, that, that, that fantasy. And I think that's what the magic of clothing is. Yeah, you're often referred to as one of the great scholars of fashion. You know, you, me you mentioned sort of books, film. Do you think that that's an important part of the way that you design is this broad knowledge? Because um, that's not something that all designers necessarily feel the need to have. I think I'm just uh, kind of a show-off, I guess, in some way. <laughs> um, I, when I learn about something new, um, I'm so excited. I can't wait to tell everyone about it. I want them to be as excited and thrilled about this discovery of what inspired what and how did this whole movement happen. Like, I, I just love that. And so that's part of what I put into every show and every kind of theme that I design with. One thing that I found really interesting, which is a slightly different take, is when I was reading the foreword to The World of Anastasia, the book, um, which was written by Naomi Campbell, who I know is a great friend of yours and she's walked in a lot of your shows. She talked of being sort of impressed and inspired by how extremely feminine you are. And I was interested in that and I wonder how do you see femininity? We're, we're so lucky to be women. The fact that we're able to wear so many different things. We don't have to be locked into like a stereotype. And I think that, you know, exploring that, experimenting with it, it's what I've always enjoyed. You know, I've tried every color hair, every sort of makeup, um, every kind of style clothing. And, and you, you have that freedom. And I, you know, why not use it and, and go with it and then find what you're comfortable with. What were you like when you were a girl? What were you like when you were very small? Well, everyone tells me that since I was four years old, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Mm. And how it happened was I was a flower girl at my aunt and uncle's wedding, and I went to New York, and I loved seeing how glamorous my aunts were and how exciting the city was. And when I went back to Michigan, I told my parents and all my friends, when I grow up, I'm going to move to New York, and I'm going to be a fashion designer. <laughs> Not that I knew what it meant, but it just sounded good, and it sounded glamorous, and I probably had seen something on TV of some really well-dressed woman uh, throwing bolts of fabric around a mannequin and going out to these glamorous lunches. And, I mean, it took me a long time to kind of figure it out. Um, but I did read an article in Life magazine, which every household in America used to get every week, and there was a story about two young ladies that went to Parsons School of Design, went to Paris after they graduated, and Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton opened a boutique for them. So I thought, okay, that's what I have to do. I have to go to Parsons and move to New York. And that was just my goal as since I was a kid. 
and, and I figured it out because my babysitter had uh, Seventeen magazine and in the back there was an ad for Parsons School of Design. <laughs> and so I wrote to them, got the registration catalog and geared my whole junior high school and um, high school years getting enough credits and um, putting together a portfolio so that I could go to Parsons. It was as simple as that. That's all I thought. Like, I thought that was the magic key. And has the reality of being a fashion designer been anything like what you thought it would be like when you were looking at those you know, those lunches and those fabulous parties. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put it this way. I rarely take lunch, um, <laughs> but I, I have to say that I have gone to some great parties. <laughs> Were you very, very particular when it came to your clothing as well? And, and when did the, the interest in dress and its relationship to, you know, music and the sort of the tribe that you're within, when did that begin? Well, yes, as a kid, I was very interested in what I was wearing and I would get these ideas and I would say, Mom, I only want to wear lavender. Can you make me a lavender party dress? And for my birthday, I want lavender flowers on my cake. And then I decided that was going to be my favorite color. Um, there was one year where I decided I wanted to wear a long dress to school, so I made my mom buy me a long dress. And of course, everyone in school thought it was scandalous that I was wearing this long party dress to school. <laughs> but it was just like I had to do it. Um, I think that, you know, I, I get these ideas of like what style should be and what what you should look like I would wear these long pinafore dresses and feather boas to the basketball games when I was in high school <laughs> so I just thought like I saw that in that magazine and that woman was wearing a boa and it looked so cool I have to wear it. you know, it's just I get I get these ideas and did that go down well at school were people accepting of that difference or not particularly well you can just imagine in the Midwest um, uh, out, uh, suburbs of Detroit of course not <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, I, I liked that, that, that kind of rebellion against like what everyone else was wearing and thinking that like I knew something that everyone else didn't. Because mm, you're from an immigrant family and, and talk to me about how that was when you were growing up and it must be strange being a New York based designer at this current climate in America and having that heritage. Is that something that you've been thinking about or do you try and escape through the fashion and not engage with that? How does it work? Well, um, my parents um, both were educated in France and um, I think were particularly sophisticated for Chinese immigrants. Um, my father ended up going to University of Michigan and then um, had his whole career in Detroit. Mm. Um, he was a structural engineer. And I think that we didn't have other Chinese families in the neighborhood, so we were kind of unique. and. Um, didn't, I didn't really experience that much discrimination. It was really more when, like if I would go to a, a, a out of town basketball game, then the kids would kind of make fun of me because they had never seen a Chinese kid before, you know? Mm. So, but it, it wasn't like, I think once there were more uh, immigrants from China or from other countries, then you're more of a threat, but mm. we were just kind of like novelties. Mm. So it, I don't think I really experienced it that badly. Um, but I did always feel different, um, and maybe that was part of my escape. The, you know, the reason why I was searching out escape all the time, um, trying to find a world that I fit into, or a world that I really wanted to fit into. Do you still see the power of fashion as something where you can build your own world that you feel that you belong within? Yeah, I think you can use it either way. You can use it to separate yourself. Mm. And or belong to a certain like subculture or a certain um, movement that you feel strongly about, 
And so you can use it either as a rebellion or a conformity. And mm. I think that that's, again, part of the magic of clothing. So you have this long, interesting kind of, you know, the girlfriends of Rockstar and the way people, you know, the, the crew with the band dress. And, and mm. when did that begin? And again, was it you wanting to be that girl or was it more just a, sort of an aesthetic interest in those girls? Right. Um, well, growing up in Detroit, um, at that point, every major band passed through Detroit and there were these incredible concerts. But in the beginning, I wasn't old enough to go see a lot of the bands, but they would play in the summertime, they would play in the park. And so my first bands were Psychedelic Stooges with Iggy, MC5, Alice Cooper, and those were like really formative years. So like no one on earth had ever seen any people, you know, uh, bands like that at that point. And it was just so much fun to go see them. Um, I think that also like reading all the rock magazines, you would see glimpses of the girlfriends. You'd see like these really exotic women like Anita Pallenberg mm. or Marianne Faithful, but only glimpses of them. So I would cut out the little postage stamp size pictures and save them in like a scrapbook or in my box of what I call the genius files. And I would always <laughs> look at like what they were wearing, try to figure out like where they'd gone shopping. You'd hear about Carnaby Street, you'd hear about Viva. And like those were just things that were so far away, but it was like I, I had to learn more about it. So little by little, I, I would do the, the research and try to figure it out. And, and I think that a lot of what I do and a lot of what I design is kind of overcompensating for all of that. Why do you think you ended up being a fashion designer rather than sort of working in a different facet of sort of the music and creative industries? Well, um, I did have the opportunities, especially to be a stylist, mm. because in, when Stephen Mizell first started doing photographs, he called me up and he said, can you come and help me do and what we always do? you at Parsons, that's right. Um, yeah, I met yeah. Stephen at Parsons, yeah. yeah. And um, we used to like discover people, dress them up and take pictures anyway, or we would drag them to a photo booth and bring a suitcase of, of things and just dress up and, and play in front of the photo booth. So we just started doing that when he started taking pictures too. So consequently, I ended up doing styling with him for almost the first year of his career when he was uh, photographing for Lay magazine, mm. which was Franca Sazani's first magazine. Mm. And we would do stories every month and I loved it. And she asked me to be an editor and you know, I thought about it, but then I thought, no, I have to design clothes. This is what I always wanted to do. So I kind of, um, didn't, didn't go that path. Mm. And when you were styling, was the aesthetic similar to the aesthetic that we would recognize from you now? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I think so. There was always that rock star element. Even when it was the sports issue, um, we took all the sports clothes, but like threw in all these hippie gear and motorcycles <laughs> and uh, long wigs and, you know, like it, like it became kind of like um, Penelope Trigo's sport, <laughs> sportive. <laughs> doesn't seem to be other designers who've ever particularly intrigued you it's more real people and these amazing figures and how they put together their wardrobes I'm interested are, are there other designers who are sort of formative for you I'm obsessed with fashion and like I used to read every fashion magazine I'd follow like I'd fall in love with a designer's um, collection and I'd have to have something from it and I'd figure out how I could afford it save up all my money so um, you know of course I loved Biba, Zandra Rhodes, Ozzy Clark Bill Gibb, uh, British designers, but I also love Norma Kamali, Betsy Johnson. Um, and, you know, every season, I can't wait to see the shows. I can't wait to look at the collections. And then I'll, like, figure out, okay, who's my favorite this season? What am I going to buy? You know, it's just like, that's just how I'm geared. Like, I love seeing the latest and the newest and, and then having that kind of, like, lust 
for like that outfit that I want. And who do you consider your peers to be? I was always the outsider. I think that um, I always stood out. I think you know there were there were times when people didn't know what to do with me, especially when stores started buying my collection. They didn't know where to put me because designer departments had Calvin Klein and Bill Blass, and where was Anna Sui going to sit? So usually I ended up like in a hallway or on the side <laughs> of a department. And um, but I also was able to showcase it with kind of the elements that I had from my store: the Tiffany lamps, the red and black and purple. Um, butterflies, you know, so um, it it kind of uh, made me a little separate from everybody, but like they included me into their departments. Um, I guess like one of the biggest surprises that happened was when I won the um, Lifetime Achievement Award from the yeah. CFDA because again I was never part of that whole group. Um, I didn't really go to meetings, and suddenly I got this phone call, and it was just such a surprise to have mm. received that that honor. And talk to me a little bit about your own style because I read, and is this still the case, that you, you never wanted to wear the same outfit twice in a year or has that become a bit of an urban <laughs> legend? Um, that was something that I consciously did one year in high school. Okay. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I got voted best dressed in school that year. But, wow. but it, was, it was fun because back then you could like, you know, go and buy a yard of fabric and make a little skirt or a little shift dress and it was just, you know, fine. And then I would like have leftover fabric. I'd cover my shoes with it or make a little handbag. Um, but I mean, no, of course now I wear my clothes more than once. I've read that when you started your own label, you lost your job. You got fired from one of the other brands. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I had these <laughs> friends. It was during the punk days and they made this great jewelry from vintage parts and they were selling all the rock and roll boutiques around the country, around the US and, us, and in London too. And I just thought they were the coolest. And I talked to them about it and they said, well, why don't you make some clothes and share the booth with us? So I did that and I made like a five piece collection and ended up selling um, a lot of department stores, including Macy's and Bloomingdale's. And uh, one of them gave me a big New York Times ad and Christmas windows. And the man that owned the company that I was working at, who I'd never even met before, called me into his office and said, how come you have your own New York Times ad and you're on my payroll? And I was like, well, it just happened. And he said, well, it's got to stop. And I said, it can't stop. I have to ship my orders. <laughs> and I got fired. And so that's how I started my business. You got a sort of a break in a way when Linda Evangelista was wearing one of your dresses around and about. Is that the case? Just talk to me a little bit about that transition from sort of having a dream of being a designer to feeling like you were, you know, someone who had a proper label that people were wearing and enjoying. Well, a lot of people thought I was kind of an overnight success, but I actually had my own business for about 10 years before I did my first fashion show. Mm -hmm. And it was at a point when um, it was kind of power dressing and people were head to toe, Versace and uh, Chanel. And I never even dreamt about doing a show until I went to Paris with Stephen Meisel. And um, on the way to our first show, we stopped at the Ritz and picked up Madonna. And she came out of her room wearing a coat, but when she sat down at the Gaultier show, she took off her coat and she said, Anna, I'm wearing your dress. And it was like so shocking because in her hotel room, she had racks and racks and bags and bags of designer clothes that everyone was like throwing at her. And I was like so envious that she had all this stuff there and she came out wearing my dress. So that was one of the things that gave me confidence. And the other was um, Linda had taken some of my dresses uh, when she went to Couture that summer and she was wearing them and all the other models liked them and they were calling me from Paris and asked me to send them mm. some dresses. So those were the two things that kind of gave me the single that, signal that maybe, yes, 
maybe I can do something. Mm -hmm. And of course, when we got back from Paris, Stephen and Paul Cavaco said to me, okay, now it's time for you to do a show. And um, it was terrifying. <laughs> Tell me about the first show. Why was it so terrifying? Well, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have, you know, I didn't think it was possible. But uh, little by little, everyone kind of pulled it together for me. Um, we got a free space to do the show. Um, Linda and Naomi helped me get more models. Um, Steven introduced me to Garen and Francois Nars, so they, they did hair and makeup. And by the end of the show, Paul Cavaco and I were just crying because it was like, seemed like the impossible dream and then suddenly like it happened. Do you so. still feel that way when you put on a show now? Or, or oh yeah. It, yeah, still. <laughs> yeah, it's never gotten easier. It really hasn't because there's always something that happens. It could be the shoes are late or um, a fabric doesn't show up. There's always some drama that goes on no matter how much you prepare. It's always that thing that you don't think is going to happen happens. Um, and somehow you get through it.